Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Grayson Brunhafer joins us, Sikkim365.com, BearCast co-host with Craig and also recruiting coordinator and analyst. Grayson, what a week it was. I, I know Demetrius Brisbane pretty well along with Ricky Stewart because of East Texas, but... Uh, you could see this probably maybe or at least on the radar with Keenan Hall, who we had on yesterday. Your thoughts about how quickly this happened? Yeah, I mean, this was one of those things where um, when Keenan Hall got hired, it was very clear that both Ricky Stewart and Demetrius Brisbane were going to visit Baylor. I mean, that that wasn't really a shock at all. Um, you know, Keenan Hall built some great relationships. And, I mean, you go look at SMU's 2025 class, you know, they had a lot of really, really good prospects committed. Um, and when you have guys like that, but a coach leaves, you know, they're going to go recruit those guys. And I know I got a lot of backlash when Keenan Hall was first hired, just talking about, hey, you know, he's got these relationships. He was the primary or secondary recruiter for these guys. It's something to watch for. And I know a lot of SMU fans were like, oh, I didn't know a secondary recruiter mattered that much. But guys, I think it's pretty obvious that it does matter and that the relationships he's built have just really, really been impressive. And I think you saw that this weekend. I know I talked to uh, Demetrius before uh, the visit, kind of after Keenan Hall was hired, and he straight up told me, I want to play for him. And so I think that made it pretty apparent from the jump that this was going to be a relationship that could potentially flip him from SMU to Baylor, and obviously it did that. Um, As far as the other guys, you know, Ricky Stewart being another one, um, you know, right now I would say that's a battle between Baylor and Texas. And that's going to be a really interesting one to follow as well as he decommitted from SMU too. But yeah, getting Brisbane is a great start to this class. I mean, offers from Arkansas, Oregon, Texas, Missouri, Michigan. Um, this is a guy who's just an absolute playmaker, an athlete uh, in every sense of the word. And I know he plays quarterback at Chapel Hill. He runs the ball a ton as well. Um, he's got over 10,000 yards mm-hmm. over the past three years. I mean, he, he is a, a machine out there. And I, I think he's going to be looked at. Uh, I believe as an athlete prospect, you're going to get him on campus, figure out where he fits the best. Uh, but ultimately, I do think he'll probably start out at safety when he does arrive at Baylor, which obviously won't be for a while. So there's still some time to figure that out. So, Grayson, uh, Demetrius Brisbane, as you mentioned, that's, that was going to be my question of where does he fit in. So what do you feel like was the other, I guess, biggest news to know uh, for Baylor fans this week on the recruiting front? Yeah, you know, I'd love to – talk about junior day but I think the biggest piece of news right now is how Baylor could finish the 2024 class and I know that everyone's kind of moved past that and rushed to judgment on what that class is going to look like but there was a lot of interesting news this week uh, that I think was really important so you know a couple rankings updates where you look at Joseph Dodds who's now a four-star prospect on on three Um, so a little bit of a jump up there And then you look at Alex Foster, who still hasn't signed with Baylor yet, uh, but he had a huge jump up 
on on three. So he's all the way up at a 94 overall prospect, the number 152 prospect in the entire nation, uh, and the number one prospect in Mississippi. So he finally got his ranking bump uh, as well, which I, I mean, that's, that's something that a lot of Baylor fans have been wanting to see. They want to see the national rankings move up, and they did uh, this week for both of those guys. Now, as far as the outlook going forward, uh, going into National Signing Day, you know, the priority right now for Baylor is obviously, you know, making sure that Alex Foster signs. Um, right now, I continue to feel good about it, and I have felt good about that for a while now. Uh, he's obviously the defensive lineman out of St. Joseph, uh, 6'5", 275 pounds. He's been a major priority uh, for the Baylor staff, you know, pretty much since the beginning of this class, since they offered him, and now they're just trying to uh, you know, shore things up and make sure he signs with the Bears and enrolls in the summer. And then the other piece, obviously, is Fort Ben Marshall safety, uh, Josh Lair, uh, who was let out of his national layer of intent by Washington when Kaylin DeBoer took the job at Alabama. And so now he's kind of been trying to figure out, you know, what's the next stop for him. And Dave Random, Matthew Pallage visited with him on Monday. And then now fast forward to this weekend, and he's going to be at Baylor today and tomorrow. So a great opportunity for the Baylor staff to land a guy who's basically a fringe four-star, uh, basically an 89 high three-star, low four-star type prospect. Uh, I think he's definitely a four-star prospect. I think he would probably be uh, the second-best prospect in this class right behind Alex Foster if the Bears are able to land him. Um, but there's a lot of competition when you look at LSU, potentially Texas, um, and a couple of others as well. Um, but those are the two main priorities, I think, going into this week. Alex Foster and then figuring out if they can potentially land a huge commitment from a, a big-time prospect in Josh Lair. Anytime there's a coaching change, or in this case, a lot of the staff changed, uh, with Aranda taking over as the title of defensive coordinator and Hall and all the others that are a part of it, you get a surge. You get a little adrenaline rush. And then also you have to be careful about, is it a fake adrenaline rush? Can it be carried over onto the field? How would you describe at least the first, what, 30 to 50 days of this new staff? I mean, it, it, I mean, I think it goes without saying. I mean, they're doing a great job on the recruiting trail, and it's really important. Now, I would also say that, like you mentioned, um, there's two components to this. You know, recruiting is a big part of this. you got to be able to build up the roster, acquire talent. Um, that's how you build a roster that's set to compete for, you know, this upcoming season, but also for the future, right, when you're building out the program the way that Dave Rand and this entire staff are trying to do that. And I would say the staff's done a great job, you know, whether you look at Jake Spavitol, Chris Tapalovic, Jared Anderson, and, of course, Keenan Hall, a lot of guys on this staff are recruiting at a very high level. Um, now, the other part of this is how does that translate on the field? Because at the end of the day, I think anyone uh, on the Baylor staff, I think anyone who covers Baylor would agree that you're only going to be able to sustain high-level recruiting if you actually get it done on the field. And so they're going to have to go into this offseason with that mindset of, hey, you know what, all this recruiting is great, but once the season starts, you kind of got to put that to the side for a second and actually go out there and compete on the field because last year – Obviously, they really struggled. The year before that was also a struggle. I mean, barely making a bowl game, kind of, you know, really ending the season in a rough stretch. And you got to get back to playing really good football on the field. So uh, my expectation is they're going to be a far better football team next year. Um, but in order to sustain this level of recruiting, even with the new staff, you have to be able to win football games and show recruits, you know, that there's a path towards success. Because right now, 
they believe in that, but you got to put on the field when it matters during the fall. Grayson, over on the basketball side of things, uh, you've got uh, the Brittany Griner uh, jersey retirement coming up. It's been a little bit of a struggle here for the ladies as of late, though. But with the, the men, how big was that uh, in your eyes to get that win over UCF the other night and get out of that losing funk that they were in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, I just want to make a comment on the Brittany Griner jersey retirement. That, that's really cool. And that was someone who, you know, had just an epic career at Baylor, was so dominant. I mean, just watching games back then or watching or just looking at pictures of, you know, her back then, it just is like, man, this, this is an absolutely dominant player. And so that that's really cool. And also to see this relationship be mended because she's a Baylor legend and you want to make sure that um, she continues to love Baylor as much as Baylor fans love her. And so I think that's really important and really, really cool to see. Um, now, as far as the men's basketball side of things, you know, I, it still has been a tough stretch, but I, I was really intrigued by the way that they responded against UCF, and especially because UCF came out and just threw some haymakers in that first half. I mean, they were making everything, and it really felt like, okay, here comes Baylor's defensive problems again. Here comes another team that's, you know, shooting the lights out against Baylor, which has been, you know, fairly common uh, this season. But at the end of the day, Baylor responded. And they came out in the second half, played far more physical, played in much better control, and made shots. And, and at the end of the day, when it all came together, um, they were really able to pull away in that in that basketball game and find a way to just, you know, scratch and claw and, and go on the road and win in the Big 12, which is really, really tough to do. And you look at the conference, it's just so deep. Um, it, it's just really tough to win games. And to go on the road, beat UCF, a team that's beaten Texas and beaten Kansas this year, um, it's a big deal, regardless of what you think of this team or what you think of their ceiling. It definitely adds a spark of momentum that they needed, especially going into a game on Saturday where they're playing one of the better teams in the Big 12 in Iowa State. So they needed that win. They got it. And it's a huge one for Scott Drew and the staff to build on. Grayson, thank you very much. Uh, Craig, you got one more to add? Yeah, just one more question, Grayson. Now I've had a couple of days to, to think about it further. Uh, anything that popped out to you of particular interest when it came to that schedule release? I know we were able to talk about it on the podcast, but uh, having marinated on it a little bit more, anything else come to mind when you look at that uh, schedule for next year? Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it, but I, I think that the main the main thing that really stands out is, you know, getting to play Colorado that first game in Big 12 play is really interesting. I think a lot of teams in the Big 12 would have loved to start with that game just because I think it's going to be nationally televised, especially if both teams come into the game, you know, at least 2-1 and one or maybe 3-0 and oh going into it. Um, there's just going to be a lot of, uh, I think, momentum and a lot of interest in seeing what that game is about. So I thought that was a, a really good one. I think playing Oklahoma State uh, for homecoming is another one that I really like. And then, of course, that TCU game. You know, playing them November 2nd, that's great and all. I'm wondering if that becomes something like this is the date that you play TCU every year um, because I do think that would be really cool for both programs if there was a date that was locked in that you knew every year, you know, Baylor plays TCU the first weekend in November or something along those lines just to make it, uh, special because there's really you know there's three permanent you know uh, rivalries in this league and that's one of them and so uh, I thought that was interesting as well something that maybe we'll take note on uh, later in the season but in general I think it's a schedule that is pretty favorable uh, for Baylor even though the teams and you know where you're playing isn't ideal 
Uh, I do think the way the schedule laid out, I don't know that it could have been any better for the Bears going into the 2024 season. Good stuff. Uh, I like the the thought that maybe TCU-Baylor, like any rivalry, we've discussed some that would be pushed back to the end of the year. Not all of them are. Even BYU and, uh, and, and Utah a little bit earlier than normal, but that would be pretty cool. You knew, you know, the first Saturday in November, whatever it might be. Thank you, Grayson. Have a great weekend. Um, we'll be in Vegas next week, so uh, we'll kind of, I think we're going to maybe get a piece of what you talk about with Alex Foster on Wednesday, National Signing Day. So that's Grayson Grudaper. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.